Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 92, we welcome Richard Blank. Richard's journey in the call center space is filled with twists and turns. When he was 27 years old, he relocated to Costa Rica to train employees for one of the larger call centers in San Jose. With a mix of motivational public speaking style backed by tactful and appropriate rhetoric, Richard shared his knowledge and trained over 10,000 bilingual telemarketers. That's just the beginning. Richard, welcome to the show. So happy to be here today, Anthony. Thank you very much for having me as a guest on your show. Oh, our pleasure. We're so excited to have you here. And so why don't we start like we do with all our first time guests, just take a few minutes and just give us the, the full story of your career, kind of some highlights and, and kind of what the, the earlier experiences led to what you're doing now. That's a great question. Thank you for allowing me to share. I, I came to Costa Rica in the summer of 2000. I was 27 years old and I was only supposed to work at my friend's call center for two months. Well, Two months turned into four years where I learned the industry, mastered my Spanish, pretty much understood this call center industry from the inside and out. And in my mid thirties, I threw my hat in the ring, had my maturity, my impulse control, and a little bit of finances and decided to start this company. We're on our 14th year, currently at 150 full-time agents, and I'm having a great run. So if anybody wants to take a chance in their life and go for it and have some long odds that can actually hit mine's a definite story to share that's awesome so so call centers can mean a lot of things there can be incoming calls or can be uh different customer service lines and and, and outgoing calls and, and telemarketing uh certainly as well what what kind of call center uh business do you have okay well we are a dedicated center so we're not mixed or blended every agent works only on a specific campaign they are bilingual and college educated we work with both outbound and inbound support i can do lead generation and appointment setting we do hot lead transfers for sales inbound customer support even back office non-voice support so it really all depends on the sort of needs that we can fulfill for the client and also in Costa Rica, we have an incredible skill set here. The most neutral accent, democratic society, no standing army, 95% literacy rate. And companies such as Amazon, HP, Intel, and Oracle are here, Anthony. So we do pack a punch in just a couple hours direct flight. You could be down here in beautiful Central America. Yeah, it's not bad weather either. I'm from the Chicago area. And so, I mean, I could kind of say that about anywhere but here. But like that, you, you make a compelling argument for uh, for the location for sure. Um, so how did I, I guess there's so many questions I want to ask about your current business, but I want to understand your transition a little bit more. So you, you had the opportunity to go down there. You were working with a, a friend or colleagues a business for, for a period of time, learned the trade clearly, and, and then um, went out on your own. And so how can you talk a little bit more about what that process was like or how you had the idea to say, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur and do this versus what you had been doing previously? Sure. Well, prior to Costa Rica, my favorite class in high school in Northeast Philadelphia was Spanish. And so when I graduated Abington in 91, I went to the University of Arizona and doubled down on Spanish and communication. Interned for Telemundo during college and worked for the importers of Corona post-grad. So I was always getting a return on investment on my second language. 
working in sales and public relations. And so really it was just a seamless transition into moving abroad. Now, if you can get past your parents' guilt, you can live anywhere in the world. So I had to get past that. <laughs> but when I was here, I was embraced. Knowing the second language, once again, respecting the culture, mm -hmm. knowing I was a guest here and embracing everything that I saw, it, it was very easy for me. But it was the first time I ever saw what a call center looked like on the inside. You know, you see the movies and you see the boiler room and people closing stock deals. But I saw different types of verticals, a lot of easy customer support, people that were conversing on the phone, converting calls and getting positive escalations and really seeing the art of speech by these incredibly intelligent bilingual agents. It wasn't difficult for me to start the center. You hire specialists in the IT department, accounting and, and your attorneys. But what I was able to crack the code was empathy. While I was sitting with the thousands of agents and training them throughout the years, I got to hear the gripes and the good and the bad. And it's very easy to instill dignity and to give job stability. And if you do not show these things and you do not show that sort of support and stable foundation, people just won't come back. So I was able throughout these years to be able to be very selective of the campaigns that come in not to compromise ethics values, given the proper onboarding and training, and especially second language support. And by doing so, I was able to get this sort of positive reinforcement from the agents and find ways to delegate and promote and to be able to scale and expand. And as long as you know somebody's name and you break bread with them and you show them the sort of appreciation and acknowledge the hard work that they do, it's going to come back in kind. And so a lot of the comments and compliments that I get is the fact that I do know somebody's name and I do take the time to build that relationship. And so that would be my CEO cracked code that I could share with any sort of entrepreneur or somebody looking to start a business. A, a title is just a title. And if you walk around with that on your shoulder, then it's going to get knocked off. The greatest thing that you can do is to put yourself in the shoes with those with whom are working with you. And as I mentioned before, extend that sort of empathy to be able to get that in return. And that that's good advice for any business owner or manager, or any industry. I mean, that's just, you know, excellent leadership advice um, for, for all of us, because that really is at the foundation of building successful organizations, teams, businesses. It, it, it really doesn't matter that that anchoring on empathy and it's not empathy as a tactic it's empathy for the sake of empathy for because it's the right thing to do it's the right way to be and it's a more rewarding experience for the people working with you and for for you you know that it it leads to a better daily life for the people everywhere uh, when when you have that kind of relationship and an approach to to how you're growing any kind of team or organization. We, we must take into consideration that there might be some outside factors that are happening <laughs> that are not work related that may affect their performance. And so these individuals are taking care of their families mm -hmm. and have very large responsibilities. And it's not saying you give someone a hundred chances, they have to follow the labor laws, but there are certain ways to reset somebody to allow them a quick timeout or find ways to recharge their batteries so they can conquer any sort of challenges that they may have outside the office. So that's where my empathy goes. As, as an owner, you have leverage. You can hire, fire, or make or break. 
I choose the former. It's very important to keep momentum and add wind in people's sails. Yeah, adding wind in people's sails. I really like that uh, that statement and that that sentiment because that's really what you want to do. You want to propel them and, and give them strength, give them uh, an ability to move forward, uh, and literally and figuratively, I guess. Um, you know, and, and I'm just thinking too, like your words strike a little bit deeper i think for all of us after the last few years like who whom among us hasn't needed a moment in the last few years with the pandemic and with all of the craziness in the world uh right now it, it, if you haven't you're you're in the vast minority and so i think having a little bit of compassion for one another's uh, journey both as a professional as well as just a, a person and and through their families and, and uh entirety of their lives uh, is certainly an important uh, consideration uh, because we don't run businesses in isolation. We run businesses as part of the fabric of, of the human experience. And so, um, you know, definitely appreciate, uh, you know, that, that philosophy. Now, what I'm curious about is the business of call centers um, more distinctly. So I, I would like to understand, um, because obviously you you have a, a sales component to to what the the team um, that you're working with does, um, and do you mm -hmm. do you focus exclusively on like tele telesales? I, I don't know the right terminology necessarily, but is it is it all phone based, or do you do um, email campaigns? Do you do web stuff? Do you do internet um, advertising? Like, what is the the nature of the the complete business that you have? Really, it all depends on the needs of the client. What I ask for are a couple things. Transparency to give us all the resources and to respect and understand our local labor laws. But you were mentioning non-voice support, and I think that's okay in some instances. But today, a lot of companies are gravitating towards that post-COVID. So it makes it a little more challenging for the outbound prospecting agents to have higher contact ratios. But still, we're capable of doing some additional due diligence on a website or a LinkedIn profile to custom make a voicemail, an email, or potentially when you speak to somebody showing that you actually have some active interest. But one of the disadvantages you have of only having that sort of non-voice communication is that, A, you are not able to upsell a client. You may not be able to retain them get a referral, or in the best and worst case scenario, get an exit interview. Some feedback on areas in which you and I may improve or what our competition had done in order to earn their business. And don't tell me that when you're frustrated, all you're doing is pressing zero and saying, I wanna speak with somebody. Even if it costs you a little bit more by making an airline reservation, or that you know you have to stay online because of a queue that could keep you on hold for 20 minutes, it might pacify you. And so my suggestion for companies is to give people options because like myself, I'm old school. I'd like to build a relationship with someone at your organization. I'd like to have someone understand my account so I don't have to repeat it all the time and potentially get a first call resolution. And when you're speaking with companies, the greatest thing you could ever do, Anthony, is give a positive escalation. Mm. If I have a great experience with a gatekeeper before being transferred to you, I will mention it verbally and I'll also do it in writing. So if I happen to call your company back, this individual will thank me for that compliment, add steam in my momentum, and potentially give me more company culture that I could use when I speak with you again. Hmm. So it's not like trying to be clever 
are finding ways in order to manipulate a conversation. These are the sort of things that you and I grew up with, raised by our parents and grandparents, by just showing active listening and engagement and being sincerely interested in the well-being of the client. That overall, from the agent, from the client to the company's perspective, is just a wonderful experience because telemarketers have a very bad reputation of calling during dinner, <laughs> not listening on the phone, hanging up on you, not caring. Mm -hmm. And if a company just takes a couple more moments to cultivate this sort of relationship, you will definitely have these long-term clients that will refer your company. You bring up a point that, you know, to be totally fair, I hadn't really considered previously is, is you're providing a service. You are a service provider in, in the truest sense of, of the, the term. And it was funny, like I did this very intentionally when we, we got on the call um, shortly before we, we started recording this. And, and the first thing I said, I've never met you before. The first thing I say to you is I'm taking a risk because of course you're the enemy, right? And so like I said that because that's the impression as soon as I say, hey, we're having a, a telemarketer or call center person on the show, that's the first thing people will will you know, re react to that they will think that way because I mean today I've had at least three calls that I've answered that were people that clearly didn't care about anything about me they just wanted my dollars and that was a frustrating experience for me because I typically don't even answer the phone but I, today I was doing that to see what what those experiences might be like and I just have to believe that it's not a complete waste like there are there's value to be had here especially when it's an engagement for something that has some qualification to it like if you're interrupting dinner for a bunch of people if you, you have no idea whether or not they're going to be interested in whatever it is that you would like to talk with them about probably not the best use to anybody's time but like to your point like the the example around where if i have an issue with a product i'm already using and i'm trying to get support for something and I want to have an experience with that brand. I think recently I had my, my bank, my business bank, used them for 20 years. And they had recently merged with another bank, which I don't like. I do not like the new bank at all. There's nothing about it that I like. I don't like their their, their structure. I don't like that it's different. <laughs> like, I liked my old bank. I liked where, where my banker was and, and, and the, the local nature of it and all of that. And the new one's fine. I mean, it's objectively fine. But... I was ready to pull the account, ready to move away. And, and the person who I had not talked to for like three years, because this is this is podcast business banking. This is this is a very small amount of financial transactions happening in my bank. But I have the account. Right. So I'm I'm pull, I'm ready. I'm walking and pull out the account. and the banker who I had used many years ago to set up the initial account remembered me and was like, I am so sorry. This whole thing has been such an adventure for all of us. And we're so far behind. But just know, like, I know what you're... Because you know, they, they changed the structure of the accounts and they defaulted them the wrong way and they charged me fees that I shouldn't have. And I'm like, I'm out of here, I'm out of here. And she's like, she's like, just please stay with me because I'm going to find a way to learn this system and make this happen. And we are going to still be this partnership that we've had for many, many years. And I'm like... Sherilyn, her name's Sherilyn. I'm like, Sherilyn, if you stay, I'll stay with you. If you leave, I'm out. But it was that personal connection in that moment. And that could have easily happened over the phone, just happened to be in the, in the branch. But I see that relationship. And I'm like, the rest of that 
is is secondary. She saved this account for that bank because she was human and she had empathy and she knew that it wasn't going to be easy and it wasn't be easy for her either and i saw that as well i said oh what she's dealing with is way where i deal with this very tiny percentage of my time her entire world got upended from this she didn't want that merger either but she's continuing to move forward and and get through it and and i have to appreciate that and so i i, I don't know how much that story relates but i just have to that human connection carries so much weight even now. In, in an internet-based world, when you have those moments, um, you know you you can't get that through an email the same way you can get that either on the phone or, or even even better when it's in in person. But that's that's even much harder. Well, it's a definite means to an end, and it inspired you enough to mention it today on your podcast. Even remembering this incredible agent's name, where you gave this person. Uh, verbal positive escalation. I'm sure you mentioned it at the company as well. And mm -hmm. you're putting yourself in their shoes. And I, I believe that if an agent listens to their calls and they study their tone and to make sure they're doing active listening so you don't have to repeat yourself and ask things for clarification, it can diffuse any sort of stress people can have. And it will allow you, that's relationships are made. If you and I can get through a problem together, Mm -hmm. It's just foundation. It shows that in chaos, you really show your true personality. You didn't curse. You were frustrated. You showed patience. And obviously, this got resolved. This individual that you spoke with, I'm sure, will be promoted shortly to a supervisor <laughs> trainer position because they're capable of retaining clients, which is very expensive and very important for a company. But, uh, you know, you look at it at a case-by-case -case basis. There's a lot of people that we know that may not work at a call center that has the resources of a server room or internet redundancy and IT support, but they might make prospecting phone calls for their real estate company, their insurance company, what they're doing. An individual might be starting a company and receiving these calls to build their business. So it is an art of speech. It is a trade. Mm -hmm. And as somebody looks into more diplomatic and strategic vocabulary, look into similes with the thesaurus so they can properly represent themselves and readjust the tone instead of seeing it as a grind where all you're doing is pushing the rock uphill like Sisyphus. It's really more wind in your back and you can weigh it. So there is no resistance and almost the conversation speaks for itself. It, I like the way you, you approach this and, and the more we talk, the more I realize just how applicable these skills are to all of us. I mean, we're all to some extent or another in, in the sales business, but really you know thinking through when we have a unmet need or something that we are appealing to someone else to help us with whether it's a sale whether it's a support for a project it could be a lot of different things um you know these techniques or, or the this approach because there's an approach and there's techniques there's a philosophy behind this but i'm of course how do we start like when you're training up because i imagine you're bringing on relatively um new agents from time to time like some people that maybe not have had prior experience what kind of advice do you give them or how do you start to coach them into the right mentality to to take on these um uh to take on these calls and and what might my audience 
you know, take from that? Like, what kinds of things should we be thinking about if there's a few things that if we are engaged in these calls and maybe we're independent consultants trying to find, you know, data, you know, strategy business or, or we're trying to appeal to executives for funding for our department or we're trying to have, um, you know, conversations with uh, our superiors in our organization to try to get our team promoted or try to get our team recognized for something that they have done. Um, what kinds of things should we be immediately thinking about or, or common mistakes that people uh, would typically make uh, without that kind of full breadth of training that you provide for, for your team and, and your agents? I think that's why you have one of the best podcasts out there. One of my favorite questions. Let me look at it a couple different ways. The first thing is that you could have somebody coming in here with 10 years experience being a top gun, but they could also be bringing in bad habits. And it's a seller's market, so they might be considered a jumper, more a mercenary, where they're not loyal to any flag, just looking for the most money that's coming in. So I don't really look at individuals like that for long term. In order to scale, we may need to bring somebody in without call center or this specific vertical experience, and that's fine. I can always teach a CRM system and how to use a Plantronic headset. But learning a second language in my specific case is 10 times harder than any project I'm gonna put them on, so I put fear into perspective. I also make sure that they have all the resources to be ramped up and onboarded, and it's very important immediately to have this individual put things in perspective to where there is a certain amount of training time. We do have checkpoints, and every single day we try to crack a code and get to another level for example, the first day, I would have individuals standing up and doing role-playing with me, or even making recordings of themselves and listening to it so we can understand their KPIs and their sort of performance because the best sort of improvement is self-analysis. And we had spoken a little bit earlier, and I am gonna sneak this in there. I have a gamification culture. So I have one of the greatest arcades in Central America. So prior to any sort of training class, my dozen agents will be in the arcade for at least 20 minutes playing the games and getting to know one another. So they make friends, they can let off steam, recharge batteries, hang out with me. So the first day, first round of that training class, instead of just absorbing, they're comfortable enough to start contributing because they always had it in them. You and I just need to unlock that sort of comfort level for them in order to understand the synergy of this call center of the support to be able to build upon that. And as, uh, as long as the client gives us the script, the rebuttals, and I can review it as well, and discuss very realistic metrics with them, even compare apples to what they're doing at corporate, or even if it's a brand new pilot project, just to have no surprises. So we can just share our resources collectively and pretty much do what you're doing at headquarters. It's just more virtual. And most people are going work from home anyway. So what's the difference? The only thing is I'm not in Chicago. But that's disappointing because a call center environment, it's, it's a very, it's a speaking, a very social environment. And a lot of the agents would feed off of each other's energies, like in the gym or on a sports team. Mm -hmm. And so even though the isolation affected them, they're saving money, they're saving time, and they're spending more valuable time with their family, it's, we kind of lost a little bit of the brick and mortar essence of what made call centers very special. And best friends are made here. People have gotten married through a call center. And this is where they sometimes spend more time here than they do with their own families. And it's a great chance for all of us to be able to feed off of that collective energy. And 
So I guess that would be my only suggestion if somebody was planning on onboarding a brand new project to at least have something on site for a period of time for that sort of relationship building and that sort of company culture to be built prior to sending people off to do things virtually. Yeah, I have to agree with you about the energy of a room, um, of, of having certain environments where um, you feed off of the others that are that are doing a, a similar thing. And, and I can understand how a call center would be able to be conducted remotely, and that may be fine. And, and I think your approach here is kind of the same thing that I think we're resolving towards in the new normal of post-pandemic life is that there's going to be a lot more remote work no matter what. But mm-hmm. if we can at least kind of realign, kind of from time to time get together and re-hone those blades, reorient towards that energy that we were normally you know, enjoying every single day, maybe it happens less frequently, but maybe there's a happy medium between the benefits of working remotely and that energy and, and consistency you get when you're in that same room. And, and the amount that you learn, um, I've just learned for myself. And while I'd be the, the first advocate for my team to have flexibility on where they're working much of the time, I find that I feed on the energy of the physical environment. And I'm, I'm, maybe I'm old school, maybe it's a generational thing, but I really would prefer to be among people every day at the office and then among my family in person at home. And, and I learned long ago that I didn't want to be a road warrior because I didn't like having the remote relationship with my family. And mm-hmm. I think that it can also become a, a degradation at, at the workplace as well. And, and I could really imagine in, in the call center, even when you have the recordings, even when you have the KPIs, even have all the training, being able to listen and talk through a challenge with someone or say, oh, this call really surprised me. You know, how how could I have handled this differently and really interact in that human um, direct you know, face to face way? I think that's really um it's an interesting thing to think about the parallels for all of our organizations and teams as, as we think about those dynamics. I just have to mention, too, because you mentioned your arcade, and we were chatting about this before um, before we, we went live on, on the show. But um, if, if you're listening to this show and not watching it on YouTube, but if you're listening out there listening to the, the, the um, audio-only version of the podcast— Behind Richard is the best background I've ever seen, and it's not a fake background. It's a real background. He's got this beautiful neon-lit Rocola jukebox, and it is just beautiful. And so can you talk, just as an aside, can you talk for a moment on where that interest lies? Because you own several of these machines. Where? How did that all fit together? Why? Why these? Why? Like, why is that your thing? Because um, I think they're amazing. My favorite topic. Thank you so much. <laughs> this beautiful machine that's behind me. If your audience can see it, she's a 1961 Ricola Regis. I have six jukeboxes. I have some Seabergs, Wurlitzers, and Ricolas, and I go treasure hunting down here. I have 13 pinball machines, six retro arcade machines, and also an air hockey table. Fortunately for me, I have the space at home and at the office, so my collection turned into an obsession. But I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and the arcades back in the day were literally the place to be. You put your quarter up on the marquee, you waited to play asteroids, and there you go. That's where you made all your friends, and hopefully $5 could last you a weekend. But for me here, most people, these arcades go out of business. They're just sitting in bodegas 
or somebody's garage, and they're willing to let them go for just a few hundred dollars. Now, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I love restoration. I know the value of these. And as long as I'm able to take care of them and put them in an environment where they could be used and appreciated, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, what people used to do back in the 50s and 60s and 70s with these machines, I mean, they're built to last. They have a style. You know perfectly well our parents fell in love in front of them dancing. <laughs> and I also know that certain machines have energy. And the fact that they've been preserved for 50 or 60 years and now they're in my hands, it's my responsibility to take care of them and to pass it along. And so, you know, when you start a company and you have discretionary income, you can spend it on pretty much anything. And I myself, it's the one, I'm a married man. It's the one hill I'm willing to die on. My wife can win 99.9% .9 of any sort of argument or, or some sort of agreement, but she knows how much I love these machines and how much it brings me joy and the fact that a pinball machine could be older than the Asians, and they're telling me that they've played pinball online, but there's a big difference between virtual and the real thing. And just like Elton John's pinball wizard, you really become one with a machine. And so it is my pleasure to have created this sort of environment for me to be able to fulfill these needs as a child, because you know the best relationships are built, Anthony, through play. So as much as we can grind out a day together and eat some pizza sitting in the, in the break room, you know perfectly well we'll become best friends when we're competing on the pinball machine. <laughs> and when we go upstairs, we're gonna be sharp and ready to go and feeling great compared to lethargic after a McDonald's lunch. And it's just one of those things that I guess just keeps me cool <laughs> because I know that I am the only boss that does this in Central America. So as much as Jeff Bezos has thousands of agents here and I compete against Amazon, the one thing I know I did is I play pinball with my people. <laughs> so that just might separate me from these titans. I, I, I like that. And, and I like how, you know, sometimes a, a person's hobbies can teach you about who they are a, as business professionals as well. And, and I hear a lot of similarity to how you think about you know, your hobby is as the way you think about your business. And I, and I certainly appreciate, um, you know, the, the importance of that and uh, definitely uh, really enjoy hearing about that. That's just, it's such, such cool stuff. There's no shame. And I'm willing to admit that I have a serious addiction. <laughs> and if somebody knows a professional to help me, have them give me a call because at this moment, I'm going to keep buying these machines. I think you should. I think you should. Uh, no <laughs> doubt. Um, so I went, before before we go, well, we still have a, a couple more minutes left. I'll bring it back to the, the professional sure. sense for, for a little bit. Is, is yeah, I'm really curious your perspective because you've been in this space for a while and you're, you're doing things to make your business relevant and, and successful in the current market. Are you identifying trends and changes that are happening in this space that you think are, um, you know, we're talking about in, in terms of like, maybe what have we seen over the last several years? Are there any big changes that are coming out of like either the pandemic or just normal um, kind of industrial change? And and what you see maybe for the rest of the, the 2020s uh, in front of us, like, are we going to continue to see um, some evolution on how people are using voice media or how we're using automation and call centers or, or anything like that? Any, any topics that you think are, are interesting from, from that line of set? multiple areas of improvement. I believe that people should be more active listening mm. 
when speaking with clients. So we can ask for clarification and edification to ensure mutual understanding. I also believe in due diligence. Nobody's really taking the time to get to know somebody. They're just grinding out the calls. They're probably gonna call you sir and not take the time to call you Anthony. And also, I guess people become complacent when they're doing something for so long and they don't have any fidelity, they don't love it anymore. They're, they lost the sort of spark that got them into that in the first place, they become plastic. Too well rehearsed, they just go through the motions. And to me, I always believe that some, every call should be unique, almost like a painting, where you still follow certain guidelines, but you, you make that sort of connection with somebody. And you were mentioning this individual that you spoke with earlier, that she's got you for life. You're gonna be definitely working with this company for a very long time, your bank. It's just a shame because texting is, people will tell you not to call anymore. They prefer texting. And when I grew up, you had to call a friend's house and ask the parents permission to speak to your friend. So that built some confidence. I just was hoping that people would not become, not, the word is not lazy, but when we were growing up, the greatest thing to do was to learn how to read and you just couldn't put a book down. And when you learned how to write, it was so much fun and took it to the next level with cursive writing. And so I, I just want people to continue to work on their skills. And with all this technology we have today, it's very easy to record ourselves. We, we have a quality control department. We listen to calls, we grade the calls. And, and Anthony, that's fine. And I'm gonna grade your call and give you a good grade. But you know that I would be most excited is if you showed your soft skills, which you have and I have in abundance, where you do mention somebody's name that assisted you. You, you talk about a promotion or an anniversary or just something that you saw on a website which differentiates yourself from somebody else. That's when I would get out of my office, walk to your station and shake your hand and say, Anthony, you did amazing. You know perfectly well that you complimented somebody's assistant that's been there for 20 years. And you know they're gonna be taking us into consideration prior to a contract, just because of the good faith that you showed. So if we can just revert back to, as I said before, the way that we were raised by our parents and grandparents by having manners and common courtesy, it should be seamless. It shouldn't be a forced fit. And the fact that people are saying that what I'm doing today is unique because I know someone's name and show empathy, that's what I expect everybody to be doing. Yeah. And so if we can just go back to those sort of basic values, then I believe all of our working relationships will be much better. I love talking to people who love what they do because clearly like you love this space that you you work in the 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 call center is just everything about it and it's it's just refreshing to see that in a in an area different from my own passion but it is you know that may be tangentially related especially when we start talking about data stuff but the the um the, that passion that care that you have for this world is is just Oh, it's so it's so refreshing to, to see. So I'm so happy to to be able to to share that uh, with my audience, and and hopefully they um, you know, have the same feeling I do. Like this has just been uplifting in unexpected ways in in talking with you. Um, unfortunately, we're we're just about out of time. So um, before we go, what's the best way for folks to find you or or, or learn more about you uh, after the show? Anthony, my man, just buy a first class plane <laughs> ticket and fly down and come visit me. 
That sounds That's like the best one. idea. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. <laughs> I got so many suggestions for you and your audience, but you can give me a call, 888-271-6750, or send me an email, ceocostaricascallcenter.com. And I have a very large Facebook fan page. We're close to 99,000 local Costa Rican ticos. You'll really get a pulse on the business process outsourcing industry in Central America, but they can't wait to meet you. You're going to have tens of thousands of new fans that are there. and. But Costa Rica is beautiful for the ecotourism. We're north of Panama, south of Nicaragua. And as I say, we have waterfalls and beaches and monkeys, iguanas and butterflies. And it's just a wonderful place to have a Pura Vida experience and to lose yourself. And being a guest in this country, what I realized was that a lot of the things that I held dear in Philadelphia really didn't matter here. It was the fact of showing respect keeping an open mind, being embraced in this culture and integrating these sort of traditions into my lifestyle. And it's been an incredible 22 years. This was a one in a million shot. This should have not happened. Call centers is where people burn out. They have a certain reputation and this gladiator not only survived, but I was able to build on something. And I still have the same structure as a call center. My only difference is empathy and breaking bread and when some agent's mother shows up to pick them up, I will purposely go downstairs and talk for five minutes on how amazing Anthony is to his mother, because you know perfectly well that's a gift that's going to keep on giving. Absolutely. Richard, truly, Absolutely. thank you for being on the show today. This has been tremendous. Had the best time. Thank you so much, Anthony. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information and links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. If you're enjoying Data Leadership Lessons and are interested in electric vehicles, check out my new podcast at electricdrives.us. We're giving people the information they need to transition to their electric vehicle future. And as always, stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. <laughs>